Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, and Doug Tompkins, the founder of North Face, two modern-day sages of sorts in the adventure world. They were invited by uh, adventurous Jeff Johnson to retrace their original steps in an epic 168-day journey in Patagonia. And now these young whippersnapper climbers are elders at the gate, and there's this brilliant interchange with them in the documentary 180 Degrees South, where they compare the kind of climb of a 168-day journey with the pursuit of the peak of Everest. And here's what they had to say. Taking a trip for six months, you get into the rhythm of it. It feels like you can just go on forever doing that. Climbing Everest is the ultimate and opposite of that. Because you have all these high-powered plastic surgeons and CEOs. They pay 80000 bucks and have Sherpas put all these ladders and 8,000 feet of fixed ropes. You can get to camp, and you don't even have to lay out your sleeping bag. It's already laid out with a little chocolate mint on top. The whole purpose of climbing something like Everest is to affect some sort of spiritual and physical gain. But if you compromise the process, you are an asshole when you start, and you are an asshole when you get back. Friends, welcome to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. If you are anything like me, that quote is just refreshing. And deeper than the refreshment, it's convicting. It's hard. It's almost impossible, better said, for the masculine soul to come to a deep conviction and appreciation that no shortcuts exist for the restoration of the masculine heart and soul. It's so deeply in our nature to try to pursue shortcuts. I confess, I, I find it all the time in my life, and it's, it's the heartbeat of the marketplace of wh where can we get what we want quick, easy, and cheap. And friends, the kingdom of God just doesn't work in that reality, God is utterly generous, but he's not quick to bring his restoration because he takes it deeply and he takes it seriously. It matters much to him. And when we can come to a conviction that there are no shortcuts, there is much life that can happen in our ever maturing soul. Last episode, we explored a bit of cultivating a habitat for the masculine soul. And as we do that, within the context for a habitat in which we are created, there are habits, there are activities, there are practices that are fundamentally ways of living that allow us to receive more of the life of God, to put ourselves in proximity of the life of God, and to live from a place of union with God right here, right now, in the circumstances in which we find our lives. And so I'm really excited to take you into this next episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. The Father asks us, are you tired and worn out, burned out on 
activity that takes your energy but doesn't care for your soul. Jesus says, perhaps you could come to me. Perhaps you could get away with me. And I promise that you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest, to walk with me and work with me, to watch how I do it, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, if you would risk keeping company with me, you will learn in time to live freely and lightly. We need, we need you, God. We need you. We need you. We need you. More of me belonging to more of you. Another story from Soul Keeping. <clears throat> toward the end of, this is John Ortberg speaking of Dallas. He says, toward the end uh, of one of his philosophy classes, a student raised an objection to Dallas that was very insulting and clearly wrong. And instead of correcting him, Dallas gently said, this would be a great place to end for the day. And afterward, the guy approaches Dallas and says, why'd you let that guy get away with that? Why didn't you demolish him? And Dallas replied, oh, I was practicing the discipline of not having the last word. What? <laughs> Who are you? Like, what planet are you from? And this, it's just so honest. Dallas goes on. I mean, he's, he's really just reporting. And he says, being right is actually a very hard burden to carry gracefully and humbly. That's why nobody likes to sit next to the kid in class who's right all the time. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. Dallas was being honest in communicating what he was practicing. And my, my question for you, for me today, is what are you practicing? What are you practicing? So we've been talking about these big ideas and everything's been prologue to this point because we were at about 30,000 feet, 15,000 feet. This morning was hoping to kind of name some operational categories. And now the hope is to get right on the ground level. And we go in that order because as soon as we get into specifics, the temptation is to start making lists. It's not about the list. It's about the heart. It's about integration of your soul, right? The soul is the operating system. It holds all your pieces and parts together, your mind, your body, your will, your imagination. And it's either being integrated or disintegrated. The world wants to disintegrate your soul. Part of me wants to do this, and part of me wants to do that, a picture of disintegration. And so the intention is to get this very operational with the hope that all that we are doing are cultivating practices that help us grow in integration and union. Okay, so it's integration of the man and union with God. 
moment by moment. If you recall on Thursday night when I talked about the Great Commission, it's, it's just, we, we've, the, the religious spirit has minimized it to some set of beliefs and some momentary conversion when Jesus says it, it's, um, it's far more about training in a way of life, being immersed, being initiated into the Father, into Jesus, into the Holy Spirit, being instructed and practicing what he's commanded because he is with us. He is with us. It's really interesting that in the scriptures, um, the word disciple is used um, 269 times. And the word translated Christian is used three times. Three times to speak of uh, salvation and 269 times to speak of a apprenticeship, a student, a master student in the apprenticeship of kingdom living. And so a a, and these words are tricky, you guys, because they have all kinds of religious trappings and, and veils. And so even the word disciple and discipline, right there, you can get taken out because this is not, the, the religion's not the point. What we need is God. What we need is his kingdom and everything else is in the way. And much of what comes in the name of Jesus is sideshow and distraction and versions of the evil one doing something that's so close to the real thing it's this elaborate counterfeit, but you will always know them by their fruit. And so it doesn't produce freedom, life, integrity, joy, courage. That's when you know you have a counterfeit. And so the life of a disciple, of an apprentice, is mostly defined by his disciplines, his practices, not to be religious, but to simply say, how are you practicing and training in this way of life? Uh, Richard Foster is a great teacher that can get to the heart but get very operational about the disciplines. And here's what he says about discipline. So I'm using the word practices. They're synonymous, but I choose to use practices because it feels more accessible and less religious. We practice sports, practice communicating with our wives, and we practice walking with God. He says it begins with consent. So if you can boil it down to one thing, it simply begins with God. I give you permission. You have say here, okay? It's, this is not a place for heroism. There are places for 20 seconds of insane courage. But the life of a disciple is the life of um, practicing, training rather than trying, okay? Training rather than trying. It's not a complete list. It's experimental. You just have to try some things out. It's practical, it's not picky. Here's, it's really key, Foster says, to not be overly concerned about other people and how they do it. And here's what's so difficult about naming specifics. The last thing I wanna do is normalize my Christianity. In other words, my individual walk with God in the kingdom for you or yours for me. We all have some expression that makes the body, but naming things as essence and as parable is helpful. And so don't be concerned about how others do it. Um, and the best is Jesus will show you what's best for you. Jesus will show you. And so what is it that you are practicing? What is it that you're practicing? In all my time of walking with God in this and sitting under elders, I think for me, the most my goal is to make this as accessible and kind of 
release of the religious spirit as possible. And I would say that there, if I put these in three fundamental categories that, that help me navigate on any given shitstorm of a day, like you see in We Bought a Zoo, right? Where life is just coming at him. And one is practices of engagement. Second is practices of abstinence. And the third is the practice of your weird, okay? And most all my life can be fit into one of those three categories. I want to name a few just, again, by way of uh, example, not to be prescriptive, but um, as a portrait. Um, And this is all in your notebook, so... But one thing, one that, I'm going to name a few. I prayed this afternoon. I said, Holy Spirit, which ones are producing some of the richest fruit in my life? So again, this is very personal because it changes with the seasons. But here, I'm going to name two in each category that are producing immense fruit in my life. Uh, The first, I was visiting a friend, uh, a new friend, and he invited me over for dinner. And uh, he was mowing, and he had a big hat on, sun hat, and uh, he was doing these quite odd patterns. And this was a kind of unique guy to begin with. And I didn't know him well, but it was kind of different. And I mean, he wasn't doing rows. And, and I thought, man, has this guy been drinking? Is this like a new age thing? Like, what is the deal? I, I, I was trying to put it in a category. And so I didn't say anything because I'm just hiding behind the fig leaf of, hey, how you doing, you know? And, and I sit at his table, and then after a couple of beers, I finally said to him, hey, what are you doing out there? And, and he looked at me, like Dallas looks at John, and he said, uh, I was playing. <laughs> I, that was the end of it. I, I, I didn't even, it's like, file folder, file folder, not found, not found, not found. Conversation over. Popped, okay? And the cork came out of the bottle and it never went in since. So fast forward, this is how the Holy Spirit is always looking for a way in, right? That the weather this afternoon, always a, a door, he's knocking, seeking, and looking for the response. So fast forward, Sherry, my wife's a yoga instructor and so we get all these magazines and Prana is one of them and it's sitting on the kitchen table and, and there's this picture, you can put the uh, beach picture. And there's this couple and they're all the same. Everything's the same in this world. And there's this guy with great hair, you know, and this woman, and they're drawing in the sand. And it tweaks me, kind of like the Ikea thing. And I'm like, why, why am I tweaked? And I just, rather than letting the reaction rule, just pause and say, Holy Spirit, what's with tweak? And then I said, okay, what's my reaction, my response? And I go, get a job. <laughs> get a job. And what pissed me off is I don't have time to draw in the sand. Like, go do something, okay? Fast forward, fast forward. And then it started dawning on me, like, people with flip-flops just tweak me. I'm like, what? what's with flip-flops? They bug me. I'm like, why am I bugged? You can't do anything in flip-flops. And, and then I realized that's the point. That's the point of flip-flops is to chillax. And then I'm reading Louis Zamperini, um, Oh, man, what's the story? I'm, I'm losing it. Yes, Unbroken. Oh, my goodness. What a phenomenal book. And, and it's, I'm just absolutely immersed in this book. And then I get towards the, I mean, a POW, four months at sea in a life raft, surrounded by sharks. One guy walks 
off the raft to get cigarettes after months. Hallucinating gets devoured by sharks right there. Finally gets rescued, but it's actually the Japanese gets put in a POW camp. Guy survives. And now once he's free, he's in hell in his soul. Absolutely locked in hell because of the vicious um, cruelty of being treated like an animal and floating at sea, surviving on birds that land on the raft because they, they're, they're virtually corpses. And so the birds land to, to peck at them and they survive on them. And there's a picture of Louis Zamperini, if you have this one, Alex, skateboarding, learning to skateboard at 81. And that wrecked me. And that was the beginning of, of um, the father inviting me to play, to play. And I realized like there was just no category to play in my life. And it, problems in the world reveal problems in the soul. And these things tweak me. It's just revealing a condition of my soul. If you read Divine Conspiracy, Chapter three, it's a beautiful, I mean, I've just worn it out. And he just talks about how your soul is safe. If you choose to walk with God and trust him, your soul is perfectly safe. Nothing in this world can take your soul, can take your life, take your body, but your soul is not at stake if it's in God's kingdom. And there is a perfectly safe place for your soul, that idea of death. I mean, this world is cruel and vicious, and you know these stories, and you've been sharing them. But there is a safety that we can only find in God as our refuge that allows us to have joy. Jesus had every reason to be cynical. He was tortured. He was abandoned by those closest to him, and he never lost his joy. He never lost his joy. And so practicing the <laughs> discipline the practice of play. It, I, I wear flip-flops a lot. It's it, first time I bought them, I just felt like such a poser. I even know, like, I just felt like, and I didn't even know how to wear them. And I, I'm not good at playing, but I'm getting better and better. And it's this conduit. We were in Australia and uh, we had those couple days of rest, which almost didn't happen. I, I was agreeing to speak at this church before the event. It was, it was maddening coming through for people. And Spirit rescued me through some intercessors, and I canceled that and took some Sabbath instead. And on the last day, we were walking on this beach, and I had a stick, and I was, I was just drawing. And I don't even know I was drawing. And, and Abigail said to me, Dad, what are you drawing? And, and I said, I'm drawing joy. And she said, I'll draw joy. And so she drew this cool picture, and then Joshua came by, and he's kind of a budding teenager, but he's like, what are you guys doing? I said, we're drawing joy. That's the deal. Draw, draw some joy. And so he starts drawing all these, like, funky sayings, you know, in their little pack. And it's just, he was, he, he, he was in, and Sherry starts drawing it. And it wasn't until a couple days later I realized, like, I'm that guy, like, in the peach, like, that needs a job, right? Get a job. Like, it was, it, it, there's a conversion happening slow and steady over time, over years, by day and by decade. Play is a practice for me. It's still hard for me to do every time. But I think if you ask my kids, they would say that sometimes there is stress in our house, but often there is play. And there's nothing that makes my kids happier than when I'm happy. Another one is, for me, is study. 
And now I say that with vulnerability because a lot of you guys can go to the religious thing or, oh, I need to read a lot of books. And, um, but for me, I'm a student. I'm a student and I don't read books. I, I, I chew on them and I marinate in them and I devour them. And every new book I read, I try to discipline myself to read three books that I've read before. So I advance very slowly and just marinate. I just love to wear out old books from old guys that are just scented with the kingdom. It's a place where I can realign, re-engage. Something I do, okay, this is a discipline. It's really a helpful definition. Something in my power to do, to connect to something that I cannot do in my own power. Okay, so that's what a discipline is. It's an activity that I choose to access something that I cannot control, right? The discipline of yesterday afternoon, just taking a hike. Wilderness is, is just a healing for me. And to get up at the top of that, that peak and look over camp and somehow the activity of choosing to hike and then looking over and, and Bear Trap looked really small, really small. Here it feels big. And then there it looks so small. And I could just feel the Father's love over it. And it felt like we are, we are enveloped by love. We are, we are protected. And all of a sudden my heart just went, oh, He's got this. It was the activity of hiking that accessed this revelation that I couldn't have had without it. Practices of engagement, things in your power to do. Then there's a second category of practices of abstinence. I believe in some ways these are the most difficult and the most fruitful in our age because this world never sleeps. It never stops. But abstinence is withholding from something for a time so that you can be fed by God. You know, it's the whole idea of fasting is to forego food or whatever it is you're foregoing as a reaching for life so that God can be your nourishment and your substance. And one of the biggest ones for me is simply stillness, stillness. You know, I, I spent the day before this retreat and I just went up high country and I wanted to hike and brought my bike and I wanted to ride. And what I needed was to actually slow down. And so I have this camp chair. JD got me this one of my total joy bombs. It's this little camp chair. It's always in my truck and I have all kinds of secret little hideouts of micro pieces of nature in town. This little pocket where no one can see me and I hide in the trees and I'll sit, just sit and sit and do nothing. And so I went in the mountains and I sat for hours and I would listen to birds, feel the breeze, smell the water. I took a bike ride. It was the slowest bike ride that I can remember since I was pulling a bike trailer with my kids. Just slowed down, stillness, feeling the breeze. The discipline of the practice of, of Sabbath. I, I confess for a lot of years that wasn't part of my practical living. This world, man, it doesn't sleep. And we fiercely fought to get that back. And again, you have to try it on. You have to find a way, but God will make a way where there is no way. And he is the author of Sabbath, okay? He's the one that formed us out of the earth, breathed his breath into us. And then before we did anything and before we were fallen, he invited us to rest. It's a crazy thing. Imagine if you were Adam, like strong, vigor, no fallenness. 
no brokenness in the world. And you have this world to explore, create, design, play, and he invites you to rest. It's a wild thing to think about because as Jonathan has mentored me and we're called to live from Sabbath and not for it. It's not sprint in exhaustion and get filled, sprint and get filled. We're meant to be filled and live out of a re- this reservoir and this river flowing. And so we fought hard and now we have a Sabbath rhythm back in our life. And I would have told you a decade ago, it's just not possible in this world. But once a week, um, for the most part, like it's nothing. It's not, it's not programmed activity. It's what we do on that day, what we don't do on the other six days. And what we don't do on the other six days, we do on that day. We have a rhythm of Sabbath. We sleep in and we linger over breakfast and we tell stories and we do whatever it is that moves us to remember it's not done. We're not done. There's so much unfinished, but we're going to celebrate what is and celebrate God, celebrate the source and celebrate what we have, practice gratitude and play. And that involves very little religious activity on that day for us. Practices of abstinence. And then the third is just practicing your weird. Practicing your weird. Um, Here's the deal with that. And like that quote, it's only weird if it doesn't work. The reason why I wanted you to have a sticker, all those stickers are just meant to entice and disrupt, to just checker your world, to put them where you need to be enticed and disrupted and remember the gospel. And... There is just this unique part of God that you know, and you're meant to know that no one else knows. No one. And there's a unique part of him that you bring that no one else brings. And so if that's true, by definition, there are practices that are just weird to the world, but are right in your sweet spot, right in your sweet spot. And this is one of the riskiest things to talk about because weird is weird, but the motive is always love. And so if the motive is love, to receive love, to offer love, to move closer to a source of love, everyone should have practices that are weird because that's your unique place with God. You don't need to defend. You don't need to explain. You don't even need to talk publicly about it. I do it out of sacrifice, sacrificial love for you, frankly. That's why I talk about it because it feels super vulnerable. But I, I, I love you. I really do. So I was just thinking like, man, what do I love? Or, what, or what's my weird? And, and one of the ones that came to mind today that's just huge, several years ago, I, I was in Knott's and uh, talked to a mentor and said, what, what advice do you have? And he said, you ought to clean out your truck. And I was like, like John said, Dallas, okay, great, wrote that down. What else do you want me to do? No, and he just said, clean out your truck. And I was like, that's super unhelpful. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> so I leave and I look at my truck and it's a disaster. And he didn't say clean your truck, like wash it. He said, clean out all the crap in your truck. And I looked at it and it just told a story of like the last 10 adventures, drama with my kids, with my wife, with my, it was all there. I could just tell a story of months because it's always running to the next thing, running to the next thing. And it was, I paused and I just started cleaning out. It was so hard to do because I I have other things to do and I don't have to clean out my truck. Some of you guys know this feeling, right? And, but that outward 
activity did something to move me into an honest place of exposing how little margin I had in my life. And as Chuck says, if you don't make margin in your life, life will make margin for you. It will. And so the, the practice, the exercising, the trying on of if I do an activity, it has to contain the time to say, we're cleaning out the truck. We're putting everything away. And somehow in that activity, like if I wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, I wouldn't put cleaning out your truck. But somehow in my intensity, there's a pause and there's a therapeutic, there's a, there's a, a balm that comes of um, di- dignity. It's self-respect. It's self-respect to say, I'm wor- here's, here's what it is. I'm worth it. I'm worth having a clean truck. I'm worth taking the time to clean the shit out because I'm as important as the next adventure for my kids. And every time I clean out my truck, it gets me honest with margin and my lack of it. And it allows me to receive self-worth. It's a weird thing. There's all kinds of other weird things. Um, But you have them too, because God is cultivating a love language with you. He's cultivating a love language. Here's another one. It's just funny. I, I live in suburbia, and my soul is not domesticated. It, 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 my soul is not made for suburbia. I do it out of uh, holy compromise because I have a wife and children. You know, one book said, um, you know, if we weren't married, we'd all become naked nomads. <laughs> and I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm happier out off trail. And one of my total love languages is seeing broken sprinkler heads that are just gushing, <laughs> you know? And like, I really care about the environment and I'm a conservationist, but it's like my happy spot when I see a gushing sprinkler head. And then sometimes, uh, when Joshua was little and just needed any activity to do with your kids, after the winds, the Chinooks that come through Colorado Springs, they blow down. Everyone has fences. You know, we live on these postage stamps with all these fences, and they all, lots to get blown down after storms. And we would just go driving looking for blown down fences. Because <laughs> it feels like the sprinkler systems and these fences are like suburbia trying to win over wildness. And it's just my love language. I see blown down fences and geysers, and I just go, I'm loved. It's a, it's a spiritual practice, okay? That's a exercise. What I can do in my power to access the heart of God that restores me and integrates my soul. I was looking in the monasteries and I wanted to spend some time and Thomas Keating is a mentor from a distance. I don't know him personally. And so I was reading about this, this monastery and they were talking about their lifestyle. And they said, we do not find ways to put prayer into our life we actually live a life of prayer and find ways to add our activities. And I said, well, that's cool, but it's totally bullshit. You're a monk. Like, what else do you have to do? And the Holy Spirit said, nope, don't go there. Don't go to cynicism. That's actually what I'm inviting all of my sons to do. He said, actually, we were meant to live a life in the kingdom and find ways to fit in the necessities. And guys, here's the total disruptive part. This is the the most unkind decade to say that to, because there's no other decade where there are more external demands. I was sitting with an elder who came to America from Australia to meet with his elders, okay? So this guy's 70, and he was coming to meet with his mentors. And I was asking him his advice. What do you know? What do you know from your place on the ancient road? And he said, 
the ascent in the kingdom is that our inward life would become greater than our outward life. And that will happen one day. And what I came to know in my soul was that our lives were meant to become a sort of liturgy. We were meant to have this liturgy of life because our, here's what's so key is our soul is eternal. Your soul will live forever. And that's what you will take with you. So what you take into the life is the, per, the rest of life is the person that you become, not your chimney sweep. You'll take the person that you've become. And so it's as disruptive to you, it, it, it's as disruptive to me as it is to you, that we were meant to form our lives around liturgy, around practices that, that shape a kingdom life. And here's where it goes is, the world is a brutal culture and we get bombarded by these atmospheres and we do whatever we can to survive. But the path of masculine integration and wholeness is such that we become so solid through and through that we then go from reactive in these cultures and defensive to bringing the atmosphere of heaven where we go. So we become so solid and integrated that as we live in the kingdom, you know, McHugh goes from chimney sweeping where he's just doing every micro adventure he can to survive to now he goes back in that world and, and he's an aroma of life and kingdom where they go, I don't know what, what, this guy's got like the Midas touch. Oh, it's the kingdom of heaven. And a final thought on this, a man was talking uh, to Dallas and he was, he was in knots and he said, man, I just don't know what to do with my quiet time. I do 15 minutes every day, but I'm not really sure what to study and how to do it. And Dallas looked at him, long pause, and he said, I believe that God is rather unconcerned about your quiet time. He is far more concerned with what it is that you do with your other 23 hours and 45 minutes of your day. He said, indeed, you must arrange your days. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. This is radical, but we're not of this world. We know where we came from, and we know where we're returning. We're on pilgrimage, and homesickness is really good because it means we're headed somewhere. But what is available from the Father, if we would risk it, in the life and the kingdom is to arrange your days in ever-increasing measures so that you can experience more and more contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. That is available. I want to pray for a minute. I feel in my soul, Father, just the disruptive nature. Because it feels absurd to think that, that this is available. And yet, we sit among elders that testify that it's true. And I know from my own heart, this is what you care most, to see your sons restored and integrated and set free, to become warriors. And God, you say right in your word to make sure that we don't get absorbed and exhausted in taking care of our day-by-day -day obligations so much that we lose track
we lose track of time and our souls go to sleep, missing out on you, God, in your kingdom. You say the night is about over and dawn is about to break. And so you invite us to wake up and connect to what you are doing. And you say, here's what I want you to do, son, with my help to take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before me as an offering to embrace, God says, what he's doing for us is the best thing that we can do for him to not be so well adjusted to our culture that we fit in without even thinking about it. Instead, to fix the attention of our soul and our mind and our will and our strength on God. And we will be transformed from the inside out. Jesus, I confess I want peace and joy and life and goodness and courage and all the fruits of the Spirit, gentleness and self-control. Jesus, how would I access your power? And Holy Spirit, how would you lead me to shape a life that's mostly defined by practices that are in my power right here, right now, to access that which I cannot do, that you alone can do? Show me. Show me your light. Shine your light on what is frontier for my soul. In Jesus' name. Friends, what surfaces when I ask that question, what is frontier in your masculine soul? I realize we're going deep as we talk about the practicals. There's nothing like the challenge where the rubber meets the road in our everyday life. And I want to leave you today with two challenges. I reference the yes triangle. It's a very simple diagram that I've made that really helps encapsulate the essence, the heart for me as I apply these ideas of cultivating fiercely and robustly both a habitat and then the habits and practices that allow me to fully engage with God in this radical decade. I call it the yes triangle, and I'm going to post that image on the blog post associated with this podcast. So you can find that image at becomegoodsoil.com. You can print it out. You can tape it somewhere. I have one as a sticker on my laptop, so I have to engage it every time I open up my computer and step online. I'd encourage you to sit with that image. Take some time and consider it deeply in your soul and with God. And where are you in those various categories? And then secondly, the quote that I shared from Dallas Willard, where he says, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Friends, that's the other sticker I have on my laptop. There are two ideas that I hold as kind of my true north, that wherever I am, they help me together in partnership and participation with God, reorient my ship 
as it were, two degrees closer towards my true north. And so that would be my second challenge to you today, this week, and into this decade. How are you arranging your days? And specifically, as we look at these practices of engagement, these practices of abstinence and the practices of your weird. What must you do next to arrange your days in these specific habits and practices so that in time, in increasing steady measure, you are indeed experiencing deeper contentment, deeper joy, and deeper confidence in your everyday life with God. Friends, this is featuring ideas and content and experiences of the Become Good Soil Intensive. We are accepting applications now for the next one. We're going into our 11th intensive, and we've been after it for a decade now. It's with excitement that we pray over every one of those applications. And for a few of you, that may be next. And so for those Men, I encourage you to apply. For those that are intrigued by it and are younger, a prerequisite is attending a Wild at Heart boot camp, and we will begin accepting Wild at Heart basic uh, participation as a prerequisite. So either way, whether you join us in Colorado or you participate in a Wild Heart Basic, which is Wild Heart Bootcamp by video session somewhere else in the world, either one of those qualifies. So maybe God's leading you there as a next step. We've got the Become Good Soil box collection. And as always, all of the podcasts and blogs available at becomegoodsoil.com. Thank you for joining us. And I am really excited to be together with you again soon for the next episode in this series.